Welcome to another episode of the Hot House Transplants podcast. I am your host, Matt Duffy. If you haven't already, you can follow us on Facebook. Check out the website at hothousetransplants.com for all of our content. And of course, join us for each episode wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So if you wouldn't mind for me, what I've been asking people to do is kind of give, give a snapshot of what your homeschool experience looked like. We have what you wrote in the book, but from your perspective, sort of, let's say pre-college, what did that all look like for you? Yeah, well, it's really digging deep in the archives for sure. When <laughs> at 45, yep. I was, uh, I, I take a long walk every morning and I was taking a walk this morning and I was just trying to reflect and think back kind of in preparation for this because, you know, life moves so fast and, at least for me, I can only speak for myself. Like I've lived on both coasts all over the place. My whole life is, 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 has gone through major chapters and evolutions and iterations. And, and uh, it's been so long since I thought about those childhood years specifically pertaining to, you know, the homeschooling experience, because that seems like a whole universe ago. Um, So it was interesting to be like, yeah, what was it like, man? And I, I remember obviously some of the highlights and so forth, but in general, like you said, yeah, it was definitely a pioneer you know, movement at the time. I mean, we started in, I guess, like 81. Um, and then, uh, of course, since you know my family, you know my sibling setup and all that, but I have my younger brother, Jeremy, who, you're, who you know well, and then my older brother, Chris, like your older brother, Chris. Um, and Chris is about five and a half years older than me. When I was kindergarten age was when we started homeschooling. So we started um I was mid kindergarten in the middle of the year and they, and my folks pulled me out. Chris at the time was in middle school and was one of those super gifted students, but was really struggling socially and was struggling um, with, uh, he, he was, he was held back in, I believe the sixth grade, the fifth or the sixth grade, and kind of turned out he was just one of those kids that was too smart for school and he wasn't turning in his homework and he was playing Dungeons and Dragons and like, you know, just not, uh, rigorous academic kid. And so they held him back. And so my parents wanted to bring him home and catch him back up for seventh and eighth grade. So he could go to high school with his friends and graduate with his friends from school since he was now a year behind. That was the same year I was starting kindergarten. And uh, so they said, well, why don't we pull Jonathan out too and do like a head start kind of program with him. So initially when we started, it was supposed to be temporary, I think. You know, this is probably a better interview for my parents when I'm five, six years old. I probably <laughs> am getting some of it wrong. But from what I know and from from talking about it with my folks and from what I remember. So that's how it started. And then, you know, we did it for a couple of years. And so two years later, then my younger brother, Jeremy, was now ready to start first grade. And um, and so they said, well, we're doing it with Jonathan. Might as well do it with Jeremy. Now we got all three of them here. Well, my brother, Chris, ended up going he was he was a real educational guinea pig because he he had kind of a unique circumstance anyway. And so he ended up going um, to private school for a while after homeschool. He did not homeschool through the 12th grade. And then so he went to private school, like in middle school. And then he actually ended up going to public high school and graduated from public high school. So he was the one of the three of us that did all three homeschool, private, you know, parochial school and and public school Uh, with Jeremy and I. We homeschooled for several years and 
like you said, like educationally, it was definitely a big experiment. We, we did all kinds of things. And as I'm sure you remember, of course, your mom having been such an influence in the business too, with curriculum and all that, we tried, you know, different unit studies where we'd take a particular time period one year and learn what was going on in history and science or math or whatever that year, politics, and, or we tried uh, more traditional, straightforward uh, textbooks that were straight from private schools that we just bought the textbooks and did those. Um, later years, when we were in, say, junior high and high school, we we did um, community college classes. So we were both pretty, pretty far ahead academically because of that. And then through the whole process, we were involved um, in large part because of the nature of the homeschool laws in our state, which was Maryland at the time, in a homeschool oversight program. And of course, as you know, and probably still is the case, the, the regulations around homeschooling are different from state to state. So uh, in Maryland at that particular time, you had to, if you're going to pull your kids out of school, you had to either um, be enrolled in an oversight program from a private or parochial school where they gave regular standardized testing, you know, California achievement test, SATs, that kind of thing. Um, or uh, you had to be involved in like a religious organization, something like that, as I remember. Um, so we were involved from about middle school on, maybe even slightly before late elementary, middle, with um, a homeschool group that had formed together to form a homeschool private school oversight program. And with that, we did. Um, you know, weekly classes where once a week we get together with other homeschool kids and we we learn subjects that that maybe we didn't have access to. One of the moms was a a, uh, a registered nurse and taught like science and anatomy and physiology. And, and one of the dads was a college uh, math professor and taught the higher level math. And then we had a theater group. So we did a major musical every year and and um, had a little school newspaper. There were probably about 100 kids in our homeschool program that we got to see at least once a week and be involved in programs. So it was kind of this hybrid through the second half of school, middle school on of homeschool, like actual study at home and mixed with, you know, these group classes and weekly social type of opportunities with other kids. So that, that was this quick snapshot. I hope that that was sufficient enough of the actual school part from like K through 12. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and what I've been hearing a lot is just what you sort of described. There was a big variety because a lot of the parents were just trying to figure it out. And so there was experimentation and there was a lot of this back and forth. Um, the group class that you described, that's pretty common. I think a lot of the parents were trying that out. So, and we were involved with other things too. You know, we, we, we volunteered for the Red Cross. Um, you know, I would, as you know, since you, since you know me pretty well, I was super, super into clowning and magic and, and performing as a kid was involved in community theater and all that. And I was also doing clowning like birthday parties and parades and grand openings and and community type stuff so I was involved in like a volunteer program with the American Red Cross called the safety clown troop where we went around to Montessori schools and elementary schools and preschools and taught kids about like fire safety and don't talk to strangers and things like that with these clown sketches and it's so cool <laughs> and, uh, yeah so we were and then I played sports baseball in younger ages a little bit of basketball and then was involved in track and, and field in high school so we were also involved in non homeschool related things as well, um, community wise. Um, and it, so I, I would say overall, it was while I was very much in what now in retrospect, I consider to be a pretty significant um, 
ideological and social bubble. Uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. And we certainly weren't locked away in a basement somewhere, um, which I know, I know that that image has probably changed over the last 35, 40 years since all this started. Um, and there probably still are uh, scenarios like that. But we were, we were very involved in a whole bunch of stuff, stuff at church and all that. And I think you, in the book, I think where it sort of was going, you described some of the theater you were going to try to get into. I think you were just about to go to Hillsdale or you had started Hillsdale. And, um, and I think that's sort of where the story stopped from, at least from the book's perspective. You ended up going to Hillsdale. Did you end up doing theater? Did you? Yeah, so I ended up, yeah, I was, I majored in theater and speech. Um, I ended up just through uh, really unfortunate circumstances, ended up dropping out the second semester of my senior year. I was, oh. uh, I contracted Lyme disease and was really, really sick and uh, virtually paralyzed for about a year and a half. Oh, and, wow. um, and, 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 and so I never actually ended up going back. So technically I didn't graduate, even though I had all of my credits for, for the theater program and so forth. Um, after I got well, I, uh, just wanted to get out of my parents' house and get on with my life. I'm like 21, 22 at this point. And uh, so I took a corporate job in in the interior design and, and commercial furniture industry um, and uh, and started working and got an apartment with a buddy of mine from college and, and, and sort of never looked back. Um, so yeah, that's where the book left off, right? Was I think, I, I was trying to remember what year and I have a couple of copies of it still, but they're like in storage somewhere. And I was <laughs> Good like, luck I'm going to take that. I got to read that stupid thing and remember what I even said, but I, I basically remember it. But yeah, it was all about this, this massive grand plan to, to uh, enter the entertainment industry and with a big vision. But uh, you know, my actual career, while I've done a little bit of independent film and some theater and stuff like that, went nowhere that direction. That, be, that became very much a side thing for me. So I started working in, a, in the interior design industry and then ended up having my own interior design practice for a few years um, in Washington, D.C. area, um, doing uh, like uh, remodeling and basement build outs and kitchens and bathrooms and, and redecorating and things like that. Um, and then... Uh, and then I kind of started like waiting tables and bartending. It was like, you know, I've, I've sort of set this whole acting thing down for for years now. What am I doing? This is my passion. And so I did a bunch of theater in D.C. and 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 some small time East Coast type stuff. Um, and then um, I got married in 08 at 29, 30 and moved out out to Los Angeles. Yep. And um, got married in Vegas on the way, a little small wedding, family flew out and it was like 25 people kind of got married on the way, had a mini honeymoon right there in Vegas for a few days and, and then moved to LA. Um, and uh, yeah, I grabbed a job bartending. Um, my, my wife at the time, um, she's now my first of two ex-wives now, uh, was, had some real difficult physical situations and was unable to work and was pretty much bed bound for a while. And so I was just scrambling for money, that kind of thing. So uh, yeah, Los Angeles felt like home. It was the first place I lived that I, uh, I, I felt like it really clicked. Um, I really love DC and I miss living in DC. Those were great years. It's a beautiful, awesome city. 
but but I got here and the 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 diversity culturally, um, the technology industry which I'm in now, um, and the entertainment industry and the music industry. Everybody's got a band and a side project going on and is making a short film, and so I've, I I yeah. really felt like the energy here, the creative energy, was super awesome. Um, and so yeah, so I've been here for about 15 years now. It's funny because the we're we're in Middle Tennessee, so it's kind of what you just said. Everybody's creative. Everybody's got a band. Everybody does music and other stuff. It's just that's yeah. that's just a part of reality. Are y'all like Murfreesboro or where are you at? We're down in Franklin. So, oh, Franklin. Uh, okay. Yeah, forty sure. minutes west. Yep, yep, yeah. My my best friend growing up, my the the, the only uh, childhood friend I can say that I'm actually still close to, who were also another homeschool family. They started the year before us, and and her my my mom were the sort of collaborators that got us that got our family into it. Um, he uh, he went to Middle Tennessee State and and uh, lived in Murfreesboro for a lot of years. He's a he's a musician naturally, <laughs> of course, of course, like everybody. Yeah, it's interesting. So you and you hit on actually you said ideological and social bubble that that is exactly the kind of thing that I I've been wanting to hear from people is is how they view looking back, especially that kind of experience. And 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 those particular words, I think, are really good words, because that was one of the concerns all along with the homeschool Mm -hmm. world that could happen, which is, is your kid going to grow up in a either socially inept, incapable, in a bubble. Um, And then also ideologically, you know, we were in general being raised as a Judeo-Christian family. Most of the homeschool community was doing that. And there was also concern. Well, if you're basically creating a religious educational process, what's that going to do for your kids? And so those are exactly the kind of things I've been wanting to hear from people is what were those experiences? pro and con. So can you elaborate sort of the background to your ideological social bubble? Like what does that encompass for you? Yeah. So obviously, again, you know us well, but we, we grew up very much in a, in an evangelical, you know, Judeo-Christian, as you put it, um, very conservative family. Um, and, uh, you know, my parents were sort of first generation Christian evangelicals. So very diehard as any newbie is, uh, was not inherited. So it was a self-proclaimed sort of, uh, mission ideology. So they were really trying to do all the right things. And, and, um, you know, I, I feel like thinking back, uh, well, and then just to on the one hand, uh, I feel like my parents did a fantastic job of involving us in a lot of things, like all the stuff I mentioned, community and sports and theater and volunteer programs and so forth. But thinking back um, in terms of the socialization aspect, I mostly interacted with adults. I can't name, like I said earlier, I, I only can name like one friend from my childhood. And a lot of that is like at the time we went to like, my parents were all into like starting churches for some reason. <laughs> and so we went to a lot of smaller churches where like the whole like youth program or whatever would be like eight kids and I'd be the oldest, you know, it'd be that kind of situation. And so I spent a lot of time with either younger kids, which of course probably played a large role in my doing babysitting and birthday parties and clowning and children's entertainment because that's who was around me. 
um, and then also with adults. Um, so other than some sports teams, I realized a lot of the activities we did were very adult, uh, which I actually think is a good thing. Um, I feel like uh, intellectually we were in some ways more developed than our peers. Um, I feel like we were intellectually a bit closed off. I feel like my parents made the mistake like a lot of parents do. Um, and maybe they won't hear this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they did a lot more of telling us what to think and not how to think, which oh, okay. is, yeah, yeah. you know, which is a pretty, a pretty standard uh, legalistic kind of view when you're, when you're in a fairly staunch religious framework. Um, so we didn't travel that much. I also think back to that. Now I've traveled quite a bit in multiple continents and a bunch of countries and all that. And I, I see kids who travel a lot and experience whole different vantage points of the world are a lot more adapted, well-rounded, and especially like ideologically and intellectually open-minded. Um, and for us, we definitely lived in a pretty small bubble in that respect as well too. Um, but I was a very happy kid and I was a big fish in a little pond and didn't know any better. And, um, you know, had all my activities I was super into and my friends that I did have. And um, overall my experience, like the, the, the Yelp star review soundbite, I guess, for my homeschool experiences is overall very positive. Um, I, you know, give it like four to four and a half out of five stars. How about that? <laughs> I, uh, one of the great desires for the whole podcast with is authenticity. And so I know with that comes a measure of vulnerability and risk. And, um, but that to me is one of the things that is so incredibly important, not just for um, a homeschooling community, but for any community, there has to be a level of honest authenticity of being able to look at something and be honest and say, hey, there's some really good things. There's some dangers as well. Let's be open and honest about those things. So at least we can guard and be better informed and maybe hopefully make a better decision one way or the other. So a lot of the whole podcast is I want people to be able to hear people's honest perspective. And so it's, it's good. I think most of our parents at this point even when we share stuff that may sound negative, it, it seems like most of them have a very level perspective when they hear that stuff. Most of them, like the things I brought up with my mom and dad, they kind of knew already. It was nothing offended them. Um, but I think it was really good to, to talk about. Yeah, well, it's like so, one of those things like, you know, we don't realize how uh, a, you know, our parents, like any parents, do the best with what they have. Right. And right. as kids and young people, we kind of expect this certain standard of them that you really can't understand until you have kids of your own. And then yep. you realize, you know, the, the dynamic that you thought was there is probably completely different um, than what you thought having only one side of the lens to look through. Um, Very much sure. so. We have three kids and, and that's exactly what happens is you feel like, you're always behind the ball. You're never doing enough. Whatever you're doing, it's not good enough. And it's not enough time. It's, and I think most parents carry that burden with them, regardless of whatever it is they're doing. It's just, it's never sufficient, but you got one shot. 
So yeah, <laughs> to some we degree, don't, we don't do see th- that side of it when we're That's kids. Right. We don't no. see that their their insecurities and like, oh my god, and I, I don't know what I'm doing, and am I doing this right? And you know, we're gonna roll the dice. Um, yep. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, and I don't, while I don't have uh, kid uh, biological kids of my own, my second marriage, I raised three stepkids. So oh, wow. you know, cool. from from diapers up to uh, like high school or junior high school. So um, so I got at least a taste of that. And um, and no, we didn't homeschool. Uh, they went to public school. Um, but in terms of kids' education, not having kids of my own at this point and not actively having kids in my life right now, um, it's something that I put very little thought into naturally because it's not part of my sphere. Um, but uh, when do you feel like that... you've already kind of done that then? Because if you help to raise stepkids, mm-hmm. I would assume you feel like I've raised kids. To a degree, yeah, to a degree, yeah. Okay. When you come into a blended family like that, though, um, the you you're, you're coming into a machine or a train that's already moving, uh, right? Yeah. So the oldest was like six years old at the time, first grade already, etc. And it's not the um, bespoke from scratch. Let's have a vision and a kid and decide what we're going to do with them. You're sort of jumping onto a moving train. So right. I got that's why I say I got a taste of it, but but certainly you know I, I didn't have a lot of like engineering involved and like big grand thoughts on it. It was like, what's the, what's the best public school in our area? Let's send them. So. So obviously at some point, and it sounds like maybe it was in college or when you were dealing with Lyme disease, which was, it's funny. I actually remember that now that you say that I remember my parents telling me, yeah, he got really sick, but I never heard that it was that bad and that it interrupted your reality so drastically. So at at what point, as you're sort of walking through your own experience, did you begin to look at your life and reevaluate some of those ideological perspectives or even some of the, some of the realizations you're talking about socially? Was that in college? Was it after? Uh, It's, you know, it's real hard to, to stick a pin in like very specific experiences. You know, I think the older I get, the more I realize, you know, that, that life is a constant unfolding. Right. Mm -hmm. So I I, I can't point to specific chapters or experiences or activities where like, this is where I started doing this. I know that then, and even still now my life is a constant, you know, uh, intellectual, spiritual, you know, emotional, ideological, uh, journey, right? Um, I will say that college, of course, being in that bubble that we, we mentioned earlier was, was my first um, taste of freedom, but it was also a very conservative school and a very small school, like 1,200 students. So it wasn't a dramatic culture shock. Um, it was a very homeschool-friendly school. Like there were a lot of kids there who actually homeschooled as well too. I mean, on their, you know, college application form, it was check the box, you know, you go to high school, uh, public school, private school, homeschool, you know, it was literally right there on the application. So it wasn't, it was a, it was an easy transition, I guess you could say. Um, And then of course, like most, most college students, you know, really had my mind challenged a lot more, both academically through the program, as well as through, you know, having a broader um, sphere of influence of people uh, to share ideas with and so forth. And then, and then over the next 20 years to, to now, um, uh, you know, I have come extremely far from, from 
those original roots um, to the point that I, I, I don't um, really hold much of, uh, at least in the religious uh, and political and in a lot of other ways, really any significant overlap or ties with with my parents or our early childhood. My parents have also like uh, gotten a li little bit more um, relaxed uh, and liberal, so to speak, in their old age too. Um, I think it's, a, it's something that <laughs> a lot of people go through. Um, relaxing some of those standards that were probably based on fear and other things in early days. Um, more experience you have, the, the the less of a big deal things are. That's interesting. Okay, so, and this is a good example, and one of the reasons I wanted to hear your story is going from sort of one side of a spectrum to another side of the spectrum at this point in life. Overall, I'm curious, how does how do your how does your family sort of look at what you're doing in your life? Do is it created conflict and tensions, or is there sort of this acceptance like, hey, Jonathan's doing his life the way he believes he's supposed to do his life? Excellent, fantastic. Or what what's been going on dynamically with yeah, that? Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to speak for for other people, but I will say that there is um uh, I don't know that I would call it acceptance. I'd call it a resignation. Okay. <laughs> My, my parents, my parents love me very much. We're a fairly close family. We're geographically all super separated. My folks are in Texas, you know, Jeremy's still in the DC area. I'm on the West coast. So like, you know, it's, we don't see each other a lot and we're not super close in terms of, you know, daily interaction. I probably talk to my brothers on the phone once every month or two, you know, Hey, how you doing? Um, and see my folks, you know, on the holidays, that kind of thing. So we're not super tight knit in that respect in terms of the daily goings on. So we've definitely sort of drifted apart in that way, both literally geographically, as well as maybe ideologically, there were definitely years early on in my twenties and so forth, where um, I feel like as I started to outgrow and explore outside of that, that um, inherited ideology and, and, and spirituality and worldview paradigm that my parents had, that there was definitely conflict and tension there. And of course, like all of us as regardless of whether it's in this particular case or not, all of us that go through growing up and becoming our own person, um, go through that pulling away period and that rebellion period and that period where, you know, you're, like you said, holding on to some of the things that your parents imparted and, and, and establishing some of your own that, that may be different, um, and maybe even slightly antithetical, um, but at this point, at this age in my 40s with my parents pushing 80 now, um, you know, we're we're all pretty accepting. I guess I could say gone are the years of my parents trying to proselytize or evangelize me. Um, they've just accepted um, and they just love me and, you know, et, et cetera. But they're still very much in in, in their particular worldview and, and sort of religious framework. Um but uh, it's not a point of contention anymore. It's just not. It's just not something that we relate on anymore. So it's 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 kind of just something that that we don't discuss. You know, it's so everybody sort of just accepts this the way it is. Let's not let's not let it destroy relationship at this point. That's right. Okay, that, which is great. Was there there's been enough uh, enough water under the bridge, so to speak? That you know, we all love each other for who we are. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, but um, they're very clear that you know I, I have very different um, uh, spiritual ideologies and and 
and you know they love me anyway and and i've gotten past my childhood young young man rebellious um, resentments of them and and um you know they have a framework in their life that that works for them and gives them a sense of purpose and makes them feel like uh good people and that they have a they have a um a place in the world um a sense of community and a, and a personal relationship with the things unseen and if that framework works for them then then that's that's great was there anything particular I guess I'm looking at, are there markers in your life that you look back on and said, this was a very important point or experience that caused me to, to evaluate a big part of my life. So did you have any of those sort of big moments that were like, wow, this really is altering the way I'm thinking or feeling about something? Or was it just really this no, slow, you know, gradual honestly, process? Yeah. Just a gradual process of, of experiencing life, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, finding my own experiences and being exposed to things that I've never been exposed to. And, and, you know, I do a lot of reading and a lot of, you know, uh, it's sort of open-minded exploration of things. And, um, I, there was no like sort of milestone events that I can think back to that was like, wow, this happened to me, or I met this person and it totally changed my reality. Um, it's definitely been just an, uh, an unfolding. Hmm, that's interesting. In, in general, do you think then, I'm sort of in my brain, let me see if I can ask this question. I'm, I'm sort of visualizing a homeschooling world and a sort of religious upbringing. And as you grow, did, did one of those cause the other to shift in your mind? In other words, um, as you got older, did you look back at homeschooling and see negatives that caused you to also then look negatively at your religious perspectives or did you getting older looking at religious perspective did that cause you to then see homeschooling in a more negative light that's a great question that's a tough question i i i think that to answer it it kind of requires that you look at them as separate you know, circles of reality, right? Like when you're growing up, the school, church, whatever, all the stuff you're involved in, it just, it's all one big lump, right? So right. I, I, I see what you're saying. Like maybe in retrospect, looking back, can I, can I say, you know, like I loved homeschooling, but I hated the religious part of it because now I don't agree with that. And so now, you know, that really screwed up the homeschool experience. No, I, I can't look at one or the other as having super positive or negative impact. My parents did a really good job of kind of making homeschooling be about schooling, right? And not necessarily uh, a, 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 a super lifestyle. Like the school was the school, the activities were the activities, and church was church. Of course, you know, a religious setup was an umbrella over everything. But um, no, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. You know, I, I think my homeschool experience in a vacuum was really great. And then my homeschool's experience colored by my parents' ideology and, and spiritual beliefs was sort of a, just a minor, uh, you know, a minor function of it. And I think, I think that's probably how most people are seeing it too, is that they're, they're, they're so co-joined to some degree that there's sort of no one or the other necessarily. It's sort of a 
a, a gradual progression of thinking that affects both simultaneously as they get older, perhaps. Religiously, then at this point for you, because I think you've you've already said pretty clearly. So not would you you wouldn't consider yourself then necessarily like a Christian or would you spiritually? No. Okay. No, I don't consider myself a Christian. Uh, yeah, um, uh, I, I am I'm very open minded to the idea that there's a lot we don't know. Um, and in fact, part of the foundational issue I have with essentially all, you know, formalized structure religions is their foundational need for the belief that that's, there's, that they have it all figured out and that that's the only way to do it. If you've got more than one religion and not that we're going to get into a religious discussion, God forbid, but um, you got more than one religion saying, no, we're the right one. It really makes you step back and look at both of them together and say, okay. Um, so no, I don't consider myself a Christian at all. I don't, I don't subscribe to any sort of formal religion. I'm, I'm more, um, uh, I guess, uh, science and physics and humanistic yeah, and I and, and yeah, no, I don't want to get into a religious argument. I, I don't want to get into like quantum theory and like the zero <laughs> point field and no. you know negative particles and what really makes what we call right. miracles happen. And no, no. Right. <laughs> no, and for me, it's more of a, it's a fascination because I think that this is one of those things about just knowing where people are coming from and saying, "Hey, this is where he's coming from, and this is where he's at now," and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Just allowing people to sort of share what they think and how they how they got where they are now. So I'm curious then, looking back, well, you actually may have already kind of answered this. I, I'm thinking about the relationships then that you had growing up and the relationships you have now. It sounds like for the most part, there's only really the one relationship that has sort of carried through this time in your life. I mean, apart from family, was I hearing that correctly? Um, yeah, for the most part, I mean, obviously with social media, I've got a ton of, you know, I'm on Facebook friends with, with kids that, you know, we grew up with and in our homeschool group and stuff. But in terms of a real relationship, somebody I see in person or actually would talk to on any significant basis other than liking somebody's post and actually talking about posts, that's something that, um, I wanted to kind of like circle back to, um, in terms of the different spheres of social academic and spiritual, uh, and, and in my experience with it as a young kid, of course, we're in the same sort of basic age bracket and all that. And, you know, when we were homeschooling, it was pre-internet, pre-social media, uh, pre-you know smartphones. So it was also a very different world then, right? So it's it's I want to qualify when we talk about being in a bubble because it was very much a bubble then because you literally yeah. didn't have contact with the outside world in your pocket and a smartphone and friends in other countries and you know um, so technologically we were the whole society was kind of in its own selected bubbles to begin with so it it's very interesting for me to think about like that homeschool experience now for kids with such a connected world with social media and the internet um because it would be a very different would have been a very different experience um for us so And, and it's so true we talked about this a lot that the the homeschool world now doesn't realize what it was like 40 years ago that you had homeschool being illegal. You had very limited access to resources. You didn't, you didn't have all of this stuff that 
a lot of the people now that are jumping into homeschooling, they go, oh, I can do this, 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 this. I have all these things available. I can do this online. I have these curriculums. They will send me my whole year in a box. And they just, it's such a drastically different experience. And well, and then not only had. that, so now we've got, you know, two decades of the internet and social media being, you know, super saturated into society. And then of course, COVID and COVID was like the forced introduction to homeschooling for everybody. Yep. So what went from in 1981, uh, is this even legal uh, to uh, every <laughs> single kid in America is technically homeschooling right now? Right. What a, what a what wild thing. <laughs> what a wild pendulum swing, right? And then, of course, I don't know the stats. I mean, you, you probably do better than me, but, you know, how many families now continued as we've come out of COVID to be like, wow, this is really awesome. Let's just keep homeschooling. Uh, a lot. So having this really forced introduction to it is also really fascinating. Um, it kind of obliterates the whole idea of like, this is something you really got to think about. And this is this fringe theory that, uh, wow, there's this, these small pockets of kids around the country that are doing this crazy educational style. Now it's literally part of the fabric of every single kid has homeschooled at least a little bit at this point. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that. And, and that's, that was interesting because when we started thinking about doing this podcast, that was one of the, that was one of sort of the, um, uh, what would you call that? That's just that was just one of the realities of saying because so many people are starting to homeschool now, what a great time to get more real sort of authentic information out to people to say, hey, consider something like this. Have you looked at this? Have you acknowledged this is a possibility? And then giving people more information so that they're approaching it a little bit more open-minded. Yeah, and that that social isolation and everything, again, with the internet, you know, like you can have whole classes on Zoom, you can have a tutor, homeschool, have a tutor you see face to face, and it's like they're in the room with you. I mean, we had, you know, we were lucky if we had a DVD, you know, or a VHS. VHS, yeah. Old school, Because we are that old. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I remember having... VHS tapes of like math curriculum and history and blah, 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 and whatever. So, um, you know, it's just, it, it's really hard to compare our generation's experience with homeschooling with what it is or could be now, because it's a totally different world. So do you think, I'm going to sort of jump back into the sort of, I guess the educational spectrum here. Do, mm-hmm. do you feel like overall then homeschooling did you a service academically so that as you got into college and as you looked at your careers, it served you well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. If, if anything, that was the, 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 um, the shining, you know, hood ornament of the whole thing was I definitely felt like it was an extremely efficient methodology of learning, you know, again, like going back to, you know, we, we accomplished in, you know, three or four hours in a day, what our kid friends, neighbors, you yes. know, who are in school did. And you know, this as well oh, as yeah. anybody, it's like, we bang out five subjects and we're done at noon. And then in those early days when everybody was questioning the legality of it, like I remember not being able to play outside until yep. after three. So the neighbors wouldn't call the cops and think we were out of school and stuff yep. like that all the way to, you know, like it just, um, it's definitely, I think, uh, and every kid is different, um, but yeah, definitely it was, it was academically successful for us. And it sounds like from, you've mentioned a bunch of different things, but it sounds like coming right out of college, getting into, you got into the interior design Mm -hmm. in DC. Um, Ironically, that's, I've 
I'm built, I'm a builder, I'm a designer builder in right. construction as well. So it was like, I didn't know That's you awesome. were actually doing that as well. Um, but you've had a number of things then, because like you said, now you're more in the tech field. Can, can you kind of walk through post-college? Give us this. Yeah, walk, walk what through are my career. Of, what is my, like you what did a lot my, of stuff. What did my fake homeschool education and then college dropout, non-finished uh, degree <laughs> get me? <laughs> I have five years of junior college and no degree either. So <laughs> no, no yes. problem. So, 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 so currently I'm a digital marketing company and I've been doing web development, digital marketing, uh, sales development for probably 10 years in some capacity. And I've had a couple of other tech related startups in there, those sort of side projects or, um, but, but yeah, my, my, I'm, I'm one of the things just hearkening back to homeschool. One of the things that I did love about it so much is it, that efficiency I mentioned freed up so much time for me to have a ton of hobbies. And I was the type of kid who was interested in a lot of stuff. So I had my own children's entertainment company at 14 years old and was doing birthday parties and making a hundred bucks an hour. And, you know, I was involved in, you know, all, all different kinds of things. And <clears throat> I've always considered myself a bit of like a Renaissance man in that way. So yeah, I've been in the design industry, which I'm extremely passionate about. Um, and that kind of came about through being laid up with Lyme disease. You know, I, I, I watched a lot of TV. So I was watching a lot of, um, you know, HGTV and, and, uh, those types of shows and subscribe to like architectural digest and, and design magazines, you know, El decor and, and interiors and all that. And so I kind of fell in love with the whole design aspect. And I always was sort of into, into art as well. So like in college, you know, I was majoring in theater, but I was also doing like set design, makeup design. So a lot of the, the visual side of it as well too. And so that was a fun foray into an actual real career uh, in, in interior design. Um, and, and so did that for a few, few years and then, you know, got that bug to do my own thing. I've never been the type of person who is really good at having a boss or working for somebody else. So except for two or three, like two to three year stints in my 25 year career, I've pretty much always worked for myself. And so, um, I like a lot of different things. So that led to, um, working for a talent agency in, in the DC Baltimore area and kind of getting back into acting and entertainment, but the business side of things, um, while I was also auditioning and doing some, some regional theater in DC and a couple, you know, small indie films and things like that. And then, um, uh, and then I started my own, um, interior design and, and, and remodeling business, um, kind of going back to the design thing, did that for a few years um, and then moved out to Los Angeles, got a, you know, restaurant job to make ends meet, pay the bills and uh, got into web design. Again, you can see the design through line there and was doing web design. Um, and then my real strength is in sales marketing. So my experience in technology, internet technology and web design and development has sort of blossomed into a full-scale digital marketing company where we do social media campaign management and email marketing and, you know, lead generation and, and all that stuff. And, and how long did you say you've got, that? what's the name of that company? My company, my company currently is called Sizzling Digital. Sizzling and, Digital, uh, okay. Yeah, and and that that iteration is about two and a half years old, um, okay. and I've been doing some variation of web design and digital marketing for yeah ten years with a couple of breaks in between with a couple of opportunities to do a startup, <clears throat> but uh, 
yeah, that's that's what I'm doing now. Super happy about it. Love it. Still have ambitions uh, in filmmaking. Um, so have a lot of friends in that business, obviously being in Los Angeles and uh, keep a little toe in that in that business and, and have um, no intentions of ever fully giving it up. In fact, I have sort of the beginning stages of a documentary um, that I hope to get made in the next year. So COVID put a giant kibosh on it and it's a massive undertaking, but it, it's a, a huge documentary on clowning, which there of course was a passion of mine as a kid uh, doing birthday parties and, and children's entertainment. But I actually ended up going on to perform with Ringling Brothers Circus Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers Circus, uh, you know, kind of kind of had a significant stint as a teenager up, up until college um, in the performing arts in that in that uh, vein, juggling unicycling magic circus clowning. Um, and so one of my sort of passion projects is uh, is to uh, do this massive documentary clowning because one hasn't been done like uh, significantly history of and contemporary clowning and we have a lot of it's a it's a very controversial topic that's got a lot of weird stigmas and a lot of misunderstanding and all of the you know killer clown movies and Stephen King's it and all that people um, have a have a creeped out um, yes. you know stigma around around clowns and it's actually a beautiful old you know thousand year old art form. Um, I, I would love to watch that. That would yeah. be so cool because I met you. I think you were either you're probably early high school. I think when we met. Yeah, that sounds about Somewhere right. Somewhere around there. But you were in the middle of doing this. I remember we would be at your house and, you, oh, Jonathan's got to go. He's got a he's got a birthday party. So I saw you dressed <laughs> up. I saw you going. It was so cool. And uh, I remember you taught me magic tricks with cards that then I would take to these homeschool conferences and I would do these magic tricks with these other homeschool kids that were there with their parents. <laughs> it was so much fun. Um, but I loved that because you were you were sort of what I saw as you were just, you were a step beyond most people in things you did and understood. And it, mm. and it felt like you were just a little bit in a different world in a good way. Mm. Like there mm. was just something you saw about life and being where you were already doing your own thing. That was always sort of, wow, that is so cool. And it's interesting because as you've shared a little bit more, there's this pattern that I see in a lot of homeschoolers, which is they are entrepreneurial. They, they, they tend to not want to sit still. They tend to not like, I graduated college. I went to work for this company and I've worked for them for 30 years. That is not yeah. a typical homeschool story. The typical home story I hear is kind of what you said. I did this and I tried this and I decided I was going to try this. And then I went and I, I really wanted to start this and I'm dreaming about this and I'm longing for this and I'm going to, and that to me is one of the great, great things about a homeschool world um that i see a pattern at least regardless of any of the other negatives it sounds like that's that's really describes your reality as well very much i mean that's the single most valuable thing that i took away from the homeschool experience is uh a sense of independence um and uh open opportunities and imagination um for sure I think if I went to school, you know, I probably wouldn't have done those things and had my entertainment business as a kid and all that stuff. And I might have, you know, been on a completely different track. Of course, in my the fabric of who I am, I still would have been that. But homeschooling was definitely the major um, 
platform that allowed me to do all that stuff. And, and, and so it's significantly shaped who I am today. Um, for sure. I mean, you know, just, just to have the self-discipline to homeschool, even if you're in a pretty structured program, um, you know, and not just show up to school and have stuff shoved down your throat is, is, you know, going to breed somebody who's a little bit more self-starting and entrepreneurial and, and independent. So yeah, that's, that's the biggest takeaway I had from it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of me as well. So that's why I relate to kind of what you're saying that there's these, I think that's one of the cool things is you get, hopefully your parents sort of um, build into us this, this, uh, this dreaming because you were always mm -hmm. a dreamer. Um, you like, you always could look beyond what's in front of you. And I, unfortunately, I think a lot of times schooling doesn't do that. It's, it can be a very much just, you focus and just accomplish this one thing that's right in front of you instead of looking out to what could be and imagining. And that's, that's pretty amazing. So why didn't you, why didn't you do your interior design and building when you got to LA? Was it just, I'm kind of done with that chapter for now. I want to move on to something new. Yeah, well, I actually stopped a, a couple of years before moving to LA. So, oh, so okay. I, I kind of stopped because I got the itch to get back into to acting. So I got like okay. a, 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 and there were two reasons. Um, I was super into mid-century modern um, and in and, and a certain aesthetic and, and, the market that I was in, in DC and Maryland, it was very traditional colonial red brick, um, yep. boring architecture. And basically I got tired of my clients, right? You know, everybody <laughs> wanted the same thing. I wanted to do like really, you know, cutting edge over the top modernist stuff. And um, everybody wanted a, you know, red brick colonial house with columns in the front. And, you know, I, I was like, Ugh. so, so really the, the, the market wasn't amenable to the, my, personal design aesthetic. And, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's a real burnout industry, as you know, since you're a builder, you know, like so many moving parts, so many subcontractors and vendors and, and, um, you know, I was tiny a one man show, you know, and subcontractors and so forth, but, you know, a lot of paperwork and invoicing and, you know, payroll and so forth. And it was just kind of like, uh, I don't even like these projects I'm doing, you know, I, try and sell my client on some really cool application in, in a particular room. And like, no, I think I want to do it like my neighbor, Sally. And I'm like, oh, okay. yeah. with so, what they think is safe. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yep. you know, so I was like, I, I got an opportunity with the talent agency out there to do some, um, character corporate event. So like, for instance, I would do like Superman and go to the children's hospital, oh, wow. um, do like corporate parties, one party, I, I, I did a, a, like a young Dick Clark and would do like an American bandstand um, MC of say some big pharmaceutical company or whatever in DC having their big annual, you know, 2000 person, you know, corporate company event and party. And, and so I started doing a lot of those kind of things. And then of course I was still like juggling and unicycling. And so I, that was a skill set I had in my back pocket. So I do, I was a, I was an an elf at Santa land at Macy's, you know? Um, so I was always dabbling in the performance and variety arts kind of stuff. And then, um, and then I was like, you know, I want to take this a little more seriously. So I got a, I got a bartending job and started doing some real auditioning and some, the, some real theater and things like that. Um, that's when I got out of, out of uh, the design industry. And then a couple of years later, um, my about to be wife at the time, had a job opportunity out in Los Angeles. So I, 
I had always kind of had a, a wish to move to Los Angeles, but it was never like a major, a, a major part of my moving parts of my plan. Um, but she got a job opportunity. And so that was the catalyst. So we moved out here. So I kind of just landed here, you know, at, at, by proxy and then um, not, not with grand, you know, Hollywood aspirations, but came out here actually for my wife's job in the fashion industry. So it's so funny because the uh, I moved to California and got a job as a bartender and I was going to do acting is is so cliche. That's I know, right? Everybody goes there. I'm gonna I'm an actor, but I'm just doing the bartending on the side to make money. And at that time, at that time, I had already started my web design business, so I was like dabbling. It was kind of a hobby thing, like a friends and family referral. Hey, I'll do a website for you for a few hundred bucks, kind of thing. So I and that came about. I met a guy who who I'm still very close to and was a business partner in my first web design business. Um, he's a, he was an actual web designer and um, I had just finished a play in DC and we were having a cast party at a bar in DC. And, you know, we were just waiting at the bar in line for a drink, whatever. So we struck up a conversation and he's like, what do you do? I'm like, Oh, I'm an actor. It was karaoke night. And so all my cast members were there. We were all singers. And so he's like, God, everybody in here can sing so well. What the heck? And I was like, yeah, most of these people are from my play. We were just closed this musical. And uh, he's like, Oh, I get it. Okay. No wonder, because I've been here to karaoke night before and it's not like this. And uh, I was like, what do you do? He's like, I'm a web designer. I was like, dude, I need a website for my, my demo reel and, um, you know, my modeling uh, portfolio, blah, blah, blah. Uh, maybe we can, he's like, I've got this script that I was writing. Um, I'd love you to look at it. Maybe I have no idea what I'm doing, but I, I have this awesome idea for this movie. So that started a friendship and we were going to kind of trade services. I was going to help him write this script and he was going to build a website for me um, for my acting reel and stuff. And, and through that, uh, that was my introduction to web design. And, and we ended up starting a web design company called Johnny Rocket Entertainment and 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 did that for a couple of years so I, I had already started the web design stuff so we moved to LA and um, I just needed to make money landing in a new market grabbed the restaurant job but was already building my web design business then in 2008 that's so cool it's just fun to hear it's it's fun to hear people getting to do the things they want to do or being willing to try something out and uh, seeing what happens with it well, I appreciate yeah. it. I do have to get going because I've got yeah, design me meetings so, coming up. So. I know we could talk all day, but dude, it's great catching up with you for sure. And, and, and let's definitely stay in touch and really appreciate it. Yep. Take care. You too. We'll see you. Bye.